Joker for that one, huh? Makeup and hair. <laughs> Why don't we just make this the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I have been recording. <laughs> I did start recording a while ago. 1917. <laughs> Are you still here? <laughs> it's over. Go. Get out of here. Nice pull. Nice pull. Let us start at the end. A very good place to start. Paul, that was a great pull on my part. <laughs> I'm glad you're so modest about it. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Paul, uh, the reason that poll was so fresh was so literally fresh. those were almost the last words that I heard at my house before I came over here. <laughs> did you watch it right before you came over here? I did. I did, in fact. That's so lame. Um, I had planned to watch it you... yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but I made a last-minute decision to take two of my kids to the X Games in Aspen. Which is a good decision. It was worth it. Except that it it impacted our podcast. <laughs> podcast should always be the first priority for everything. I got it done, Paul. I watched I I watched to that part. That's how you know I got to the very end. <laughs> you got to the very to the very, very, end. very end. You even watched all the way all through the credits. Of, all the way through the credits. Yeah. I'm proud of you. So And all, disappointed in you. All it all cost at the same me time. was three hours of sleep. Which is all the amount of sleep I had. So, this is going to be extra crazy. But we're talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. On the, it was oh, on my backlist yeah. Hall of Shame. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It was on my backlist Hall of Shame. And so that's why I watched it. And we're going <laughs> to talk about it. I've got some thoughts. Yeah, I can tell. Three hours of sleep. <laughs> and so I watched it. And I have thoughts. Did you spike my water glass? <laughs> We're also talking about the Oscars because it's Which almost... seems like it should get like top billing, right? It's the, the Oscars. Oscars. Yeah. Oh, that should be top billing? Top billing. Not the movie that came out 30 In 1986. 34 years ago. Yeah. Before you were even Before born. Before I was a twinkle in my father's eye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're talking about the Oscars. Really creepy phrase. We are talking about the Oscars, and I've got thoughts on that as well. <laughs> Multiple. Hear that? Multiple. Plural At thoughts. least three. At least three <laughs> thoughts. Very good. That's that's almost a record for you, Jake. <laughs> and if you stick around to the very end, I'll have thoughts on another thing oh. that happened this week <laughs> in the most least important thing. Oh, I have thoughts on a most least important thing as well. Yeah, I wonder. I I, I think I know what your I'm most least important thing that we is. We have the same most least important thing. You know what? I can almost guarantee you that we do not, because I thought I know what Jake's most least important thing is going to be, and I, because I am kind, <laughs> you were going to use it. <laughs> I was going to use it, but then I said, "No, I'll let Jake." It'll be use a joint. It. It'll be a joint most least important thing. Okay. All right. And then. You know, you can yeah. write it down on a piece of paper like you did on the last show. <laughs> but now it's time to talk about a thing. A thing. And you'll find out which thing after the break. 
here we are for the first thing, and that is going to be our discussion of the Oscars. Da 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 da. Is that from the Million Dollar Man or Hooray for Hollywood? Hooray, Hooray for Hollywood. Who sings that? I don't know. Danny Kaye. Maybe. Maybe. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt would sing the heck out of it. <laughs> Speaking oh, of, my here's goodness. my first thought on the Oscars 2020. Did you have any preamble? <laughs> no, I really this? didn't. I, I, I am ready for the Oscars discussion. It's, it seems like award season every year, even though the Oscars is closer, it seems like there's more and more awards to talk about. And so I'm, I'm about ready to be moving on. Paul's done. It's time to move Show's on over. to 2020. And All part right, of that time is to talk because about Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> this will be a short podcast. That's, <laughs> It's like a dream come yeah, true for Paul me. Has never been happier. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that maybe it's just because I'm bitter about our whole fantasy film league that mm. I am losing badly. That I'm ready to move on. I'm glad you brought that up so that I could keep us from moving on. Hmm. And that is to say, those of you that listen to the show on a regular basis know Paul and I are in the midst of. Season two of the Pop Culture Fanboy Know It All Fantasy Movie Awards League. I won season one, by the way. Paul Handily. thrashed Handily. in season one. And so we came back in season two. I studied up. I studied game film. Curses. And actual film. <laughs> and uh, I picked some films, only one of which I had seen. <laughs> so I watched all the wrong game film. Uh and right now, the scores, Paul. Are, well, first you got to say what what movies. Oh, you Oh, sure. For those of you that yeah. have forgotten what films we right, picked, right? With the first pick of the draft, I went with The Irishman, a Netflix cinematag, cinematography, a Netflix cinematography, ye, ye old Irish. <laughs> Didn't even mean to do that. That's yeah. one of those. It's tired, not called the Leprechaun. It's, it's not things. called the Leprechaun. Uh, second pick of the draft, Paul went with a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which was a bad pick. Actually, that wasn't your second. That wasn't your first pick. Once upon a time in Hollywood, or no, you had two picks back to back. Yeah, That's yeah, right. exactly. So I, you had two. I was like, how was that your first pick? That's not right. I would have gotten ones, but we had a snake. We did a snake draft. Exactly a snake. So draft. Paul got between two, and two people. Three. Yeah, with two and three, he got a beautiful day in the neighborhood and once upon a time in Hollywood. Correct. Then it came back to me, and I got a Marriage Story and Joker. Then Paul came draft. back to Paul. He got Little Women and then Avengers Endgame. Which was not a great pick. Endgame was not a great, has not been a great pick for Paul. Then it came back to me, uh, and I got The Farewell, which has been my lowest performing pick. But then I got Parasite. Which has been doing quite well draft. for you. I was going to snag that. And Paul's last pick of the draft actually has been doing well for him. It's sec- his second highest performing film was his last pick of the draft. And that was Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, the highest scoring of all of those films so far is actually, to Paul's credit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No way. So in, That actually really surprises me. Yeah. I mean, obviously hmm. we'll see come... I would not be surprised, based on how the awards have shaken out, the nominations have shaken out, if that ends up being the highest point score of them all. Hmm. You know, being like the... Yeah, because I don't think Joker's going to get a score. lot of wins. In, right. Yeah. It got it's got it got its nominations, but right. Uh, that is this currently the jo- uh, Joker sitting at number two. Oh, uh, well, that's forty five points sense. to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's forty nine points. Um, 
But overall, Paul's team has 100 points and my team has 150. Curses. So Curses. Because I had a strong showing from Joker and Irishman and then Marriage Story and Parasite coming in. Yeah, no, you had a really strong draft. I do have to say. I, I wonder... I wonder what the score would be. And let's not calculate it now. But I wonder <laughs> if I had dropped Beautiful Day, although I really like the movie, and put in 1917, or, which we've talked about. Yeah. You know? I think that uh, I wonder if I'd be creeping you'd be closer. Up. Yeah. You'd, you'd for sure be closer. Because Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is only one point out of last place in terms of point scores <laughs> last place being avengers endgame with four great so i had two big loser picks that's right your two big loser picks combined to have beautiful... the same amount of points as my one loser pick you know which was it's the so sad because a beautiful day in the neighborhood is a really nice movie a why nice do not movie, people but it's not a it's not a great movie it's not oscar worthy it is oscar worthy and, as and Little Women. Well, perhaps. I haven't seen Little Women yet. But I will say, frankly, looking at the list of Oscar nominees for Best Motion Picture, which I happen to have right here in front of me. Okay. Ford versus Ferrari, or Ford v. Ferrari, or Ford v. Ferrari, for those of you who are <laughs> Ford Roman Catholic. Ferrari. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Roman Catholicism. Is that presented by Fast and Furious? <laughs> Fast and Furious presents Ford v. Ferrari. <laughs> Uh, the Irishman, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Paul, does not belong on this list. What? I have recently watched this film. Wow. I. It is the height of Hollywood navel-gazing. That no, this okay. Is at the, that this is the best picture. I can't believe that it's so early on the podcast and we're already going to get into a fight. And I can't believe this is what we're going to fight over. Brad Pitt looked amazing. <laughs> the film itself, not so much. No, this was my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie ever. Right, because it's his most boring. No, that's not true. And nonsensical. It's, it's a good movie. Leonardo DiCaprio P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. did well. No, 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 no. It is not plotty. I can't even think of a point where it plotted. It always gallops. It gallops. Are you kidding me? It gallops along. I can only think of one point where it gallops. (laughs) Only because of all the blood at the end. But that's that's so predictable. No. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I figured you liked it because it was so plotting. So what do you? It was a well constructed movie. it It was totally well constructed. How so? Okay. So you've got. I really like the. The the chemistry between Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Brad, it does saves really it as well, he does. and I liked the the idea of this famous nineteen sixties nineteen seventies movie star sort of coming down. I liked the, the relationship the between. Period, right? <laughs> this throws you're an unreliable narrator. Nineteen fifties nineteen sixties. It's not 1950s, 1960s. It, it is. His fame, oh. Leo's fame, came in the 50s. He's, fa- yeah, he's yeah, faded yeah, yeah. out in the 60s. This movie takes place at the end of the 60s. Yeah, I was I was thinking about all those turtlenecks, you know. It just feels very 70s to me. But no, I think I think that the idea of this this movie star and his and his stunt double having this this friendship that they do 
it really worked for me. And I tell you what, it had one of the most compelling Tarantino dialogue scenes that you will ever see. Which one? That acting scene um, during the Western where yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is talking with, you know, talking with the bad guy yep. and the little girl. No. Oh, yes. He's the bad guy. He is the bad guy. It's been... I watched too many movies. <laughs> Again, the unreliable. No, 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 no. He right. was the keep, bad guy, but he was. My point. He was so. He was. That was the best acting I've ever seen Leonardo DiCaprio do. He was really better good. than when he was begging for the Oscar and the Revenant. <laughs> Way better. When he came honestly. out of the horse carcass with the tattoo of the Oscar on no. his chest. Honestly, let me let me just say <laughs> this about the Revenant, which I kind of liked. Right, I, I liked the Revenant. I thought that was worthy of. Yeah. It's awards. Yeah, I I did not think I thought that they gave Leonardo DiCaprio the Oscar because they felt bad him because he ate the liver and all that kind of stuff. He was willing to get in the horse naked. Yeah, like, exactly. Give the he man w- his Oscar. Give the man his Oscar. But honestly, ever since I've seen him in Titanic, I've wondered, can this guy actually act? In this movie, he acted. He did a really good job in that scene. It was great. That scene is not a plotting. Great stage not scene. plotting. It's plotting. It had no, nothing no, to and do then... with the plot. It was an <laughs> entire scene out of nowhere. Nothing to do with the plot. Didn't advance the story in any you way. Know, didn't lend us to really no, getting to know his it was, character. It totally made All us get it, to know his was, character. It, it was totally did. Cinematic junk food. No, it was not. It was. It totally not bad. But meaningless. No, it was. It was it, delicious. It, Absolutely, it was. But meaningless. It to was the film. totally relevatory toward his character. It was, it was fantastic. What did it reveal the about the his interaction? Character? Okay, so you've got the interaction with the girl right was, before the scene. That actually had. Yeah, so some, you see, made some sense to the film. It made we a lot of a sense to the type song, of Hollywood so. actor, actress, actor coming up in this young starlet. <laughs> No, that's very superficial, Jake. Very superficial. She's See, the one who made that point. She, <laughs> no, the thing she is, she made a whole point that, about calling herself that an when actor. she's. See, and I, I almost want to watch rewatch it so that I can speak about it more coherently. But the thing is, you know, while the guy is reading the book, right? The he, girl. The well, the guy is reading the book though too, right? Leo. Yeah, he pulls his own book out. Yeah. He pulls his own book out. He starts tearing up because he realizes he that tells they, her his own story. He tells her his own story, and it's very, very dramatic. And it and it sort of reveals a lot about his character. It reveals his state of mind, and that takes us into the acting no, scene that we see. It totally does. No, they because, jump to a whole other scene. Oh, then they come back to him acting, and then we get to watch it him was, act again. Delicious. Uh, but junk. No, fantastic. Didn't move the story and along. It moved the story. It along. didn't. And it they're did. like they're like we're gonna spend we're gonna spend <laughs> two out of we're gonna spend two hours and fifteen minutes out of three hours on this really long nothingness where we're just gonna like that name is, drop a bunch is, of Hollywood no, people no, 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 no. and feel really cool okay. about ourselves. And then so, in the final forty five minutes, we'll actually have a little story about how these people didn't get murdered, even okay. though they really did. Okay, so here's the thing. When you're talking about cinematic junk food, I will grant you your point if you grant me that Quentin Tarantino, his entire catalog is cinematic junk food. Absolutely. It's all about movies. It's all about the the look of it. It's all about the feel of it. And so when you have the look and feel that is so 
so on point. It really is Tarantino at his best. I'm not a huge Tarantino fan, but when you look at the, the, the level of performances that he's able to draw from his actors, and I think that this is like maybe exhibit 1A, that's what Tarantino is all about. That's what Tarantino does the best. And so I think that because of that, you could make an argument that 15 different movies could have been nominated for Best Picture, but I I honestly think this is the best Tarantino movie that I've seen. I, I couldn't grant you that even, but that doesn't mean it's the best movie of the year or even one of the 10 best, and that's my problem. It's sure, I'll grant you that it might be one of the better Tarantino flicks out there. Uh, I'm not a Tarantino fanboy myself, but it did not belong in this category. Oh, uh, so what would you have put in its place? Um, that's a good question. What would I have put in its place? I mean, honestly, although I I know I I would have put something like um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood in ahead of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Would you really? Even even though I was teasing you about it not being a great well, film, okay. I would have put it in there ahead of that. All right, all right. Well, see, I came up with my top ten list, right? And and Once Upon a Time did not make it. There you go. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood did, but at the same time, you really do have to appreciate Tarantino's craft. I mean, he gets tiresome for me because a lot of the content that we see and a lot of a lot of the the problems that we see from a plugged in point of view, content caveat, that you know, I I think that are completely unnecessary. Because he does so many other things well. He does dialogue well. He brings out fantastic performances from his actors. He has an appreciation for Hollywood and all that it is meant to him and, by extension, a lot of his audience. And so I think because of that, this story about Hollywood feels very Tarantino-esque. Yeah. And I think that because of that, if you're going to be the sort of person who puts... Pulp Fiction, The Hateful Eight, you know, on on this, these lists of great, great American cinematic masterpieces. I'm not, but... I, I wouldn't necessarily either, but I can appreciate them for what they are. And I think that, that when you look at Tarantino, this is probably my favorite film of his. Well, that was one film. Ooh! Wow! <laughs> I didn't mean to turn this into... <laughs> I just had a hot take that I... <laughs> that I didn't think you'd expect because you know I'm a Brad Pitt fan. I know, I know. I, you didn't see it coming that I thought this film didn't belong on the list. Wow, that was quite the hot take. Did you have any other thoughts to add to the overall list of the other ten films? Nine. <laughs> the other nine. Okay, so first I, I I want to ask you, what films have you seen on this list? I've seen... 1917. 1917, Joker, Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've still got to catch up on the rest. So you've only seen one of the five movies that you selected in our fantasy film, Correct. Or in our fantasy film draft. Correct. Yeah, I usually, I usually do my binging in late January, early February for Oscars. So here's my hot take. Yeah. The movie you need to see, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. That's, Jojo that's Rabbit. Backlist. I just watched it again, actually, again a couple of nights ago, and it was, it's a, it is a brilliant little satire. I think a lot of people have had problems with it because it features Adolf Hitler as sort of this imaginary friend, and he's funny. Modern culture struggles with satire. Modern culture struggles with satire. I to think be it's fair, the pretty much thing. every culture is struggling with satire. 
<laughs> yeah, although I think it's been more accepted than it has been now. Like, I think the culture as it is now, because it is so, um, it is so pure-minded and so oddly intolerant in a certain sort of way, I think that, that it makes satire really hard to do today. Right. Um, but Jojo Rabbit is brilliant satire. It is really funny. It is remarkably touching. Yeah. I, it might be one of the, the most touching movies actually on the best picture list. So I think that, that checking out Jojo Rabbit would definitely be something that I would recommend to you. I do, I do plan on it because I actually am of, a, of the mindset that the more a society lacks tolerance for satire, the more it probably needs it. I think that there's a point to be made for that. And, and the thing is, it really does, it is, what the movie does is really unique in that it is both quite funny and quite sad and very, very touching. And it can do it all in the very same moment. There are scenes at the very end where... So it's like The Office. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, yeah. Taika Waititi, Steve (laughs) Carell. Maybe not, maybe not, but you do have you do have these elements that work surprisingly well right next to each each other. You know, it's a little like it's a little like a pepper steak with a nice you know sweet sauce on the top of it. You wouldn't think it would work, but it totally does. Mm. It's it's really a very impressive work of fiction, and and maybe outside of Oh, Marriage Story? It might be the movie that got me closest to actually crying. Well, there you go. Yeah, that that to me, you know, elevates it on my list of ones I need to watch. As we've touched on a little bit on this show, in a state of life where it's hard for me to get to the end of the day and be like, yeah, let's watch this movie about divorce or about old dying gangsters. (laughs) Yeah. Or no, I totally hear that. Uh, you know, it, it's stressful. I don't want that right. at the end of my day. I want to laugh a little bit. So uh, I was hoping to laugh more. It was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's part of my bitterness. I wanted a few more yucks. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully, Jojo Rabbit will provide that for me. It is super entertaining. It is super entertaining, and it shares something in common with uh, our other segment, actually. Yeah. Does it? <laughs> Yes, it does. Were you trying to segue there? Did you have any more Oscar thoughts? <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to segue. I know we're, we've got more to talk about with the Oscars, but but it does it does have a great Beatles song as a part of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I uh, I didn't know there was a Beatles song in our other segment. Oh my goodness! I don't know very many Beatles songs. Oh, Jake, you alarm me so much sometimes. The only ones I do know, I learned from the movie Across the Universe, where none of them were sung by the Beatles. And so then I liked the song from the movie Across the Universe, and then I went and listened to the actual Beatles song, and I said, wow, they suck. <laughs> True you story. Know, really, really, do you need to listen to Jake's opinions anymore? Just with that, I think that eliminates you know who else, any sort of credibility. You know who else really stinks? The Beach Boys. <laughs> the Beach Boys are terrible. They're the worst. David Bowie. Beach Boys are brilliant. Oh my god. I know they're brilliant. I took a history of rock and roll class, but boy does their music stink. 
Oh, we got to talk about it. It literally pains my brain. We do not have time to talk about Beatles and Beach Boys, but let's let's put a tack in this and we'll argue about this at a later time because Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, those are two of the greatest competing albums of all time. Well, there you go. All time. And I wasn't even born yet either. Okay. All right. All right. Next hot take. Do you have Do you have another hot take on on the the Oscars? I'm really bitter that I didn't take 1917 in our in our. You Oscar should be. Movie. It was a beautiful film, and you had already seen it when we picked. No, you no, hadn't. I hadn't. It I was, hadn't. You were about to. You were like, yeah. Oh, I was, I was like screen. three days. So if I was going to make a pick as to which one I would not have put on this list, you know what? I think it's a slam dunk. Actually, I don't think I would have put Ford versus Ferrari. Hmm. You did you know, finally see that? I did see that, yeah. It was... Because you were excited about that one. It, and I'm a car guy, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't think it was a really good movie. I thought it was a quite entertaining movie, and my wife loved it. She would, if she was here in this room, she would pound me over the head with some sort <laughs> of rolling pin. But I just don't think it was really a best picture type of film. You know, I think that there are several other movies that I would have chosen above it. Like? Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood would be one. I think that that was a really strong contender. I think The Farewell Mm. was really good. Honestly, I would have put Avengers Endgame on here. Ooh. I mean, I'm not hating that. I I have to see some of these, obviously, to to put them ahead. But... um... Yeah, I would have I would have put some of that stuff ahead of a film like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, the thing about the thing about Avengers Endgame is that it is you you wanted to get those like Return of the King nods. Exactly. Well, not necessarily Return of the King because obviously you know the whole Lord of the Rings series is just really great. This one, but I honestly thought Endgame was better than Black Panther. Yeah. You know, I thought that that was a very, very good movie, and and I think Avengers Endgame was better. Yeah. So it was a little bit disappointing that it didn't make it anywhere close to these lists. So, a hidden life would have been another great choice. That is interesting. What? Why didn't Terry, good old Terry Mal? You know, I why didn't he make this list? He he makes Oscar bait. That's it. That's all he makes. That's all he makes. He makes he makes very artsy type of stuff. And this was actually, I think, a hidden life was his most accessible work to date. Yeah. You know, he got a lot of praise for Tree of Life, Especially which was for beautiful the anti-nationalism and nice. stuff. You oh, think Hollywood would be eating that stuff up right now? Well, he, I I think that it had some really powerful messages, and I think I think honestly, it had some very interesting messages when it talks about this soldier in Austria who refuses to pay allegiance to Adolf Hitler during World War II and the cost that he has to pay for not doing that. He was a farmer. He he became he was drafted briefly as a soldier and then he He's said like, no. I'm not going to pledge allegiance to Hitler because right. I don't believe what he stands for and he does it because of his faith. Right. He says Do you think that scared him off? <laughs> I you know, it does make you wonder. But I think that it has some very interesting messages in these in these fraught political times that we're in on where we put our allegiance. What does our faith mean to us when we take stands? And I think that that's, that's, a, that's a good lesson. That's a good thing to think about. Was it too accessible? Is that why he didn't get nominated? I don't think it was too accessible. It was still three and a half hours long. So <laughs> That's not very accessible. 
That's just the thing. That's that's been another reason. Even if I am in the mood for the Irishman, it's like check the watch. Do I have time for that? <laughs> you know what else I think should have gotten nominated? Mm-hmm. Not above necessarily Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but above Ford versus Ferrari. Knives Out. Absolutely. Knives yeah. Out. Have you seen that? I have seen Knives Out. That was a fun movie. That very taut. It was so well made. Tightly crafted. Great plot. I can some nice twi- twists. It's like the antithesis of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh my goodness. Well crafted. <laughs> tightly told. Let it go, Jake. Everything Let works to serve the narrative. <laughs> Everything is a slave to the narrative. Beautiful. It was, it was very Not driven so by. <laughs> the screenplay was really great. And I it thought was. it had some great performances. Absolutely. You can't beat Daniel Craig as a southern detective my wife didn't like didn't care for that part she felt like he was hamming it up a little bit too much and that almost took her out of it but my favorite part i can't even say on the show without getting it explicit (laughs) (laughs) so good yeah it was really well done i thought it was really well done too chris evans makes a pretty good character in that movie and it was funny because i literally watched it within a day or two of watching christmas with the cranks so just seeing those two Jamie Lee Curtises <laughs> juxtaposed was amazing. So delicious. Jamie Lee Curtis, she looks just cool in whatever Doesn't she does. Doesn't she? She is amazing. Even when she's playing a goofy mom yeah. in Christmas with the Cranks, somehow. I never saw it. I never saw you it. You really should because she, she is not a cool character in that. But yet it's Jamie Lee Curtis and she becomes endearing anyways. Like the way she bounces back and forth between how cool and cold and calculating she was yeah. in Knives Out. But then you go watch Christmas with the Cranks where she's literally this bumbling, goofy, suburban housewife. So good. So good. So good. I'll take your word for it. No, I won't because you I don't trust watch you. Christmas I don't with the trust Cranks. anything you say, really. Come on. It's got Dan Aykroyd in it. <laughs> I it's on my backlist hall of shame if you it's wish not, it to no, be. No, it's not it's not that good of a movie. It's it's good Christmas fare. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally think that Knives Out should have been nominated. It, yeah. Sorry. That was where we got distracted. It, <laughs> it deserved to be on here above Once Upon a Time in Hollywood oh and Ford versus Ferrari. And Ford versus Ferrari. You know what? Let's let's just uh, pencil out Ford versus Ferrari once upon a time in Hollywood, and we'll slap a beautiful day in the neighborhood and knives out in there. And you know day. what? I could buy that. I could yeah. totally buy that. So, so who is going to win Best Picture? Who do you hope wins Best Picture? Is that the same film? So you know, I've heard rumors that it could be between 1917 and Parasite. Oh, interesting. Um, Parasite is kind of this dark horse challenger. You know, it's a it's a South Korean film. It's all in Korean. It uh, it it's a very interesting story in that it's it's a comedy, it's a thriller, it's a mystery, it's a tragedy in in a certain way. So it has a lot of different elements working with it, and it has a lot of social elements that feel very resonant today. 1917 is sort of a throwback movie, obviously. We've talked long about 1917. Um, It feels a little bit more old-fashioned in a lot of ways. Um, I appreciated Parasite, and I thought it was was well done. I think that some of the praise for Parasite might be a little bit overblown, and I I think I'd vote for 1917. I really like that movie. That's what you want to win. 
Okay, so if I had which yes, yeah, I think I do want 1917 to win. If it wasn't 1917, I might go for Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, you know, I think that that would be a fun. I I that would be where my heart would lay. Okay, you know, I just thought it was a great, fun, very quirky movie that I was excited to see nominated. But you think 1917 will get it? I think it'll be 1917. What about you? Uh, I think I would like I would like out of I mean of course I still have to catch up on some of these other ones but right now I want 1917 to win as we talked about on the last episode you can go back and listen to it what do I think is going to win stupid Once Upon a Time in Hollywood oh no it's not going to win I think it like it no it shouldn't have gotten this many nominations and so it sort of feels inevitable yeah no I know like Thanos I can almost guarantee you. I would bet you money right now yeah? that it will not win. Why? It just won't. Why are you so sure? I think. You know what? I think that Tarantino has seen a lot of Oscar love over the years. I think that there is some, there is a push to see that he gets sort of this this best picture nod to his credit before he retires so there's so there's sort of this element of of having this uh career capper for him but i think he's too controversial as a director and i think that his movies can be too and this is going to be strange to say that you know 1917 had one woman in it the entire time but i think that that there's an impression that 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 Tarantino movies can be just too testosterone driven, you know, in a way. Uh, so I think that that might draw Which him the back. Oscars are mm, not as much as they used to be. Not but as still, much as they used to be. Not as that's that's relative though. And I I don't think gone that it from has ninety percent to eighty percent. I don't think I don't think that in this time where you're looking at deeper messages. Um, it's not that 1917 has necessarily a deep message, but it has a message that resonates throughout time. You know, the idea, that, and we've talked about this, the idea of heroism when things get really grim and really gritty, you can still find that heroism there. There's really no underlying moral narrative in Once Upon a Time, right? So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of push to reward that you can see parasite getting it because it feels very of the moment you can picture 1917 winning because it sort of has this timeless message once upon a time is just sort of this tarantino fast you know don't don't you think it's because i think here's why i think it'll be once upon a time in hollywood because i partially it's because i can't picture how it got as many awards as it did as, as we're sitting here looking at how it has all these, I mean, nominations rather. You're just bitter because it's my best performing. Um, I just cannot fathom it. And it won all these other, you know, awards. It, it, Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTA, you know, it just has been cleaning up everywhere. And I think Hollywood is self-congratulatory at the end of the day it's all about fake and patting yourselves on the back as much as i enjoy many of the products that come out of that place i'm i feel like i don't have any illusions as to how the nature of the thing works and so it honestly feels like they'd love to just do it to pat themselves on the back and be like hey isn't hollywood great here's an ode to hollywood because that's what it is it is an ode to hollywood 
and you know, to the Hollywood of yesteryear. And if we know anything about the Oscars, is that's a bunch of old white dudes. And this movie is about when they were youngins, <laughs> and they were taking over the industry. All right. Well, we'll and they were the up and comers. We right shall see. Right. This is about their. This is about their glory years. All right. So first of all, first of all, they're gonna pick it. Here I was trying to segue into the next segment, but now that you said that, I th- I think that that yes predominantly the voters for for oscars tend to still be that older whiter group of people you're only but dancing they are... around this because you're an older white <laughs> but i'm I saying it because i'm there a is... young white person <laughs> i do think that there there is a greater diversity that's coming in and i think that that could and even even back in the the old days 3 years ago <laughs> i don't i i just don't think I can understand why Hollywood would like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't see it as a film that they would give its greatest honor to. You heard it here, folks. Paul being wrong. <laughs> now it's time for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Did you have any more Oscar thoughts? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> All right, now it's time for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Here we are on the backlist hall of shame. It's as dusty and crotchety as ever. A little bit more dusty because we haven't been in here for a while. That's right. It looks eerily similar to Paul's office. Yeah. yeah. Which is fitting since Paul's office is old and crotchety. Old like, and crotchety. And very white. Like there's himself. actually there's white, actually a lot of things along the walls. They're called books, Jake. They they actually have pages in them. Uh-huh. And they're written like they don't have any pictures. And I know that will be... I read about one once (laughs) in a meme. In a Twitter. On Snapstagram. One of them them Snapstagrams. Yeah. 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 Speaking of old things, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 34 years old this year. 34 years old this year. I That's say, not quite a, a big landmark year. I was I was almost <laughs> impressed. It shows that this is getting late. I was thinking, really, thirty four years old this year. That's an incredible uh, milestone. <laughs> um, <laughs> ironically, that's the age. No, I don't know. I, I was trying to come up with a stat, but it's too late. Uh, I want to say something here. My one of my things that I mentioned earlier <laughs> that I wanted to say. <laughs> Remember that when I said. I have some things to say. Okay, so uh, first, first, you really didn't know Bueller's that there was there was yeah, thirty four year old movie. Is there really a spoiler here? I don't. <laughs> you mean the spoiler that this was all Cameron's fever dream? It was not all Cameron's. Hundred percent. No, no, That's no. My first first of all, take. first thought, first thing for me, that car. I know you're not a car guy. I'm not a car guy. That car, the Ferrari, was amazing that inspired you all those years ago to be interested in ford versus ferrari this year you know no but <laughs> it's a continuation okay. of my ferrari love to be yeah. honest with you i love ferraris because i mean that's a beautiful car it's a beautiful car yeah oh my goodness because you were probably a little too old for ferris bueller when it came out right no. You still liked it when it came out? Yes. I wasn't 50 then. Not 50, but 
You were a teenager. 19- I was a teenager. You were not a teenager. 1986. I was a junior in high school. No. Yes, it was. I'm it just was. Just it was completely targeted yes, it toward was, me. It was literally designed for Paul. It was literally designed for me. I still had, even back then, before my movie critic days, where I became, you know, old and crotchety. I did have some some problems with this movie, but how it got away with animated nudity. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when he's using did early version did I of Microsoft Paint to make a nude painting on his oh. desktop PC. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. No, that wasn't that wasn't the issue that I was really thinking of. You dirty dog. No, it's good. It made me honestly as as you were talking about how bad the Beatles were. Yeah. This movie almost single-handedly made me re Reanalyze the Beatles because I, I, before I saw Ferris Bueller, I thought, ah, Beatles, overrated, not that big of a deal. Shake right. it up, baby. Oh, I, oh that, that's that was a Beatles a song. Great I forgot that song. was a Beatles song. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I literally was watching that movie like, I don't remember who does this song. I've heard it. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is so embarrassing. I literally almost looked that up while I was watching it and I was like, nah, I don't care. That was a great song. <laughs> great song. Great scene. And it, it made me proof that it was all Cameron's fever dream. Oh, it was such a good song. That was my favorite scene in the whole movie. I thought it was great. It was that 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 was like that whole middle section almost lost me. I won't but <laughs> I wanna my other thing besides it all being Cameron's okay, fever dream. Okay. It is not one. Cameron's fever dream. <laughs> number two. Uh, number two is. Um, do we need to do the plot? Do the we need to talk movie, about the plot? We will. Oh my! <laughs> no, I'm going on three hours of sleep here. Uh, number two. Really? <laughs> number two is that when you watch the way this movie starts by the first twenty minutes. Sure. I really understood our connection, Paul. That humor in the first 20 minutes, I was like, this could be dropped into 2019 and 2000 or 20, and people would like, the youths of the day would like this. The youths. It felt very, still felt very current 34 years later. Like, it, the sense it of humor. Holds up, it holds up. It held up. Yes, it really does. Which led to my problem with the middle section is it completely abandoned the style of the first 20 minutes. Wrong. He, he Wrong. almost entirely stopped talking to the camera. After that first twenty minutes, there was only a there was only like one or two other scenes with it, and then it's almost completely abandoned until the end credits. It was fine. That well, is not a problem with the movie. To lean into that. No, it, it, that is not a problem. So, the main premise of the movie: Ferris Bueller takes a day off from school. He he pretends that he's sick. He fakes a yes. sickness so Famously. that he can have a wonderful day with his girlfriend and his best friend, who's kind of a stick in the mud named Cameron, who whose dad owns this spectacular Ferrari that they take, they steal, essentially. Oh, yeah. And then they have a great time on in Chicago. That's you know, right. they go to the museum, they go to a Cubs game, they do a parade. Fancy they, lunch. Fancy lunch. They do a whole bunch of stuff. They have a great time. Go they for come a home. party. Yeah, and that's really the plot of the movie. It yeah. really has no plot, now that I think about it. Yeah, I mean, the plot is a kid decides he doesn't want to go to school. He sets up all these... You know mechanisms to get away with his elaborate day off from school. He has the longest day 
in human history yeah. because there's no way you could do all of those things yeah. with <laughs> before 6 p.m. <laughs> I used to do all those things. The 80s were a different time. Yeah, you could right. do all of you those You could do things. all of those things. In the, um, and, and yeah, it's just the whole day of them trying not to get caught and then the side yeah. adventures of the guy trying to catch him. Yeah, you know, for me, honestly, this feels like the ultimate 80s movie in that it's fun it's light and completely irresponsible absolutely irresponsible you know it it really makes authority figures anybody who has any sort of authority at all into a total creep it's all about being as hedonistic and as wild in a gentle sort of way in this movie right just but it's really about breaking all the rules right just gentle enough so that the kids can write off the parents' concern and be like, oh, it's just a silly movie. And just rebellious and problematic enough that all the parents can be like, yeah. this is a really terrible and yeah. scary movie. <laughs> yeah, I was I was 16 and 17 years old at the time, right? I looked at that movie and I thought, this is not <laughs> presenting a very good... There are no good role These models here. These are not here. good role models for me, <laughs> father. <laughs> Why did you bring me to the cinema today? I wasn't going with my dad to this movie. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I wanted to see Vegas of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I did. I did really like this movie, and yet at the same time, I thought, "Oh man, why is he ruining his father's car? Why did he steal his father's car? That's not appropriate." Right. You could have rebelled without kicking it out the window. Exactly. Yeah. Silly. Yeah. Irresponsible. <laughs> That was kind of my reaction as a teenager, which shows that I had a lot of content caveat with Paul (laughs) as a teenager. I was meant to do what I do. (laughs) You sit in the back of the theater. Oh, (laughs) only getting two plugs for that one, Bueller. Yeah, lost a half a plug there. Oh my goodness! So here's the thing: I did not think I would really enjoy this movie at all. I thought. It was one of those that didn't was have Brad Pitt. Too so mired, that's a strike. You know, that it was going to be mired in the time. That it wouldn't have aged very well. That it was just truly all silly schlock. Like honestly, I thought it was going to be all like that parade scene. Right. And if which was the, a great scene, that does not hold up. Oh, it does. The hold lip up. syncing is not very good. Well, his dancing is super low energy compared to everybody else. Like it does not work. Well, but see, that was and sort of makes, the style of the time. Well, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Go on. I like that it was leaning into the ridiculousness of the premise. So it's 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 not the worst thing ever. I didn't hate it. But I thought the movie would be more like that and I just wouldn't really enjoy it. That it'd be like, it was a thing. I see why people in the eighties liked it. That's fine. The beginning and end of the movie I thought, this holds up pretty well. And so I actually ended up enjoying the movie more than I thought I would. You know, it's it's hilarious actually because it's the middle part that sells me on it. Yeah, it totally sells me on it. I and think here that... I was trying to bond with Paul, thinking, "Yeah, I get it." <laughs> and he's over here like, "Boy, I hate the beginning and end of Ferris no, Bueller's I, Day I, Off." I think it was. Give I think more it was middle. fine. And and to be completely honest. There was a point in time where I actually did lick the palms of my hands to see if I could stay After open. you watched it this really, film? Yeah, it really didn't work. Yeah, it none of this stuff would work in real life. It's yeah, completely it was very ridiculous. disappointing. And, and the beginning and the end were fine. And I think actually one of, the, one of the best scenes in the movie is when he's running back home, trying to get back in bed before his parents figure it out. That's, that's 
a little bit, you know, it's kind of brilliant. But I think that the heart of the movie is just watching him do his day in Chicago. It really does. And maybe as a as a teen who did not live in Chicago, who was a pretty good kid, maybe there was just a little bit of... Um, I was living vicariously through through Ferris Bueller, even though I even though I was disc, disking him at one point in time. You I were thought, the wouldn't that be cool? You were the sister. I was not the. You're sister. a total gene. No, no, no. You're no. a gene. I was more Cameron. I was more. Oh, Cameron. you need to be set free. Except that I really didn't that want was to a be really, set free. That was a really silly way to sort of try to turn yeah, it into. Yeah, no. Like he spends the whole movie being the worst friend. Oh, Ferris Bueller? Yeah, Ferris yeah. Bueller. He yeah. spends the whole movie being the worst friend. Yeah. And then... Totally irresponsible. It, he that would breaks actually... his friend. Yeah. His friend then realizes, well, everything's broken anyways, so let's throw let's, let's throw the car out of the window. the car. And uh, then it's like... Then yeah. Ferris Bueller's girlfriend turns up and is like, you knew what you were doing today, didn't you? Ferris Bueller wasn't planning no. none of that. No, he was not. What a joke. Not. He is the, yeah. Ferris Bueller is the worst friend. He is the worst friend. He is the worst He's friend. so bad. That that really struck me as I was watching it. Yeah, no, I, I kind of picture like like you and I could be Ferris Bueller and Cameron. <laughs> oh, interesting. Where you're, the, where you're the unreliable one. Oh, am I now? Oh, yeah, you'd be totally unreliable. Okay. Because, I mean, just listen to our podcast. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> Nobody could listen to this podcast if I wasn't reliable. You know what? I'm packing it. <laughs> The show's over. <laughs> no, but I, I think that Ferris Bueller, he's an interesting study because maybe we all knew somebody like Ferris Bueller in high school. You know, someone who was completely irresponsible and yet everybody, including you, kind of loved him. Sure. You know? He works as a caricature. He does work in as that, a caricature. You know, you can, you can sort of pick and choose some of the features about him, plop it onto a friend who you know and love, and say, ah, what a guy. What a but guy. But then you start to think about any of this being real, and you're like, what a loser. Except for the Shake It Up Baby Pred scene, which was mm. perfect. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, I, I was, up, baby. I was surprised up, baby. at how much I enjoyed parts of this movie. Mm. To the point where I'd watch it again. I'd, I'd probably fast forward through the middle part. Um frankly and i'm not just saying that to antagonize paul <laughs> i think it probably comes back to i like the caper stuff yeah and the, the beginning and end is all the caper stuff it's all the caper stuff it's and... trying to get it away and see that's probably why i didn't like it because it was all being mean to your parents and authority figures. oh yeah you were so i was but i was that way for so long yeah in my life i was the consummate older child who was very dutiful and trying to make sure everybody was in the right place at the right time and not acting out and you know I was more of the gene character yeah. right where I felt like boy they can live footloose and fancy free and here I am stuck being responsible I couldn't get away with that kind of stuff I was very much a gene growing up um so I think it's just more that my taste in movies is I enjoy that more rapid as you know my yeah. attention span yeah I don't very I, very short. my favorite part frankly of the whole middle part of the movie was the weird uh, cuts back and forth between Cameron and the painting in the museum. Oh, as it gets, yeah, that as was it good. It gets increasingly closer yeah. to a ridiculous level where it no longer makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think that there there was 
you know, as a teenager, that was about as deep as movies got for me back then. You know, the 80s were not a time of great Terrence Malick type of right. works. But yeah, I mean, I, I felt, and I think that, that that probably struck a lot of kids my age, that, that scene where Cameron's looking at this pointillism picture in the, in the, the Chicago uh, Museum of Art. I'm not, there's actually a different name for it. Chicago Institute of Art. I, I've actually seen that painting. Um, but you see as the, as the painting just sort of disseminates into this world of dots. And you kind of feel that as a teen, that's sometimes the way the world feels like, where you're sort of getting lost within all of this color and all of this sensation and you sort of lose yourself. So I think that there was a, there was some interesting thought behind that particular scene. Right. I think the depth of Ferris Bueller's day off, if I had to analyze it's not a very your deep teen movie. years, the depth of it is in that it <clears throat> portrays an experience. It portrays a feeling of high school and of being on the cusp of adulthood and not wanting to be there, being too old for all of this nonsense, but indulging in it anyways because you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life. It doesn't have anything profound to take away from that, but yeah. its depth is in that it captures that yeah. experience. You know, it's interesting, and, and maybe you can answer this for me, Jake, because when I think about my childhood, you know, I think that it really had some of the greatest movies about the teen experience that you can find. You know, you have Ferris Bueller, you have The Breakfast Club, you have Pretty in Pink, you have all of those those movies that seem to encapsulate a certain type of experience that you had when you're 16, 17 years old trying to figure out yourself. I, It may be, and it likely is, because the teen movies that have come after that I was too old to really truly appreciate. But are there movies like that? I'm sure Did you grow up with movies I, like that? I, I didn't personally. Part of that is I think I've mentioned before that like when I hit my teens, mm. I was trying to catch up on all the movies that I had missed in the past. And obviously there's still plenty that I didn't get to like Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off. And so I wasn't spending a whole lot of time looking for the teen movies of my day. Frankly, I thought about this last year, two years ago, whenever Lady Bird came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched Lady Bird. I thought, oh, that felt like my teen years. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. But that's a decade after I was out of my teen years yeah. that I finally saw a movie that I thought, oh, that was my teen years. I remember that. That's actually really interesting because when I watched Lady Bird, Maybe it's because I was so old by that time, but you really, I resonated with the mother-daughter relationship, you know, that, that fractious, difficult relationship that was both loving and really antagonistic all at the same time. I really didn't think about the teen experience as much in that movie. Yeah. Sort of interesting. And, and obviously it deals with it very differently, but right. I think more, like, again, more fitting to the time of... More responsibly. Um, in an odd sort of way. Right. And uh, in that it was very, the world, like, I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words. There was just a, the, the, the vibe of the 80s versus the 2000s in terms of like teen life. Yeah. Is, it was just very different. Well, well it, it, was, it was encapsulated really well actually in one line in Ferris Bueller where he talks about, he mentions early in the movie, he says, I told my parents I wanted a car for my birthday and they got me a computer instead. 
and he's very <laughs> upset about this. This comes up again later. Yeah. And the funny thing is, it's often the opposite. Now, I was sort of on the cusp of when that was sort of becoming a thing, but the data right. shows now that kids would much rather have a car yeah. or not a computer, a laptop, a tablet, a phone instead of a car. Yeah. And yeah. That a lot of kids delay getting driver's licenses because they can connect with most of their friends without ever needing a car. No, I think that's really true. And I think I think one of the interesting things about 80s teen movies is that there was there they're irresponsible, and I think a lot of teen movies can be irresponsible. But the thing about movies today is that there tends to be consequences. You know, you yeah. you know the movies, even if they show a lot of irresponsible behavior, they're, they're steering you to say, this stuff matters. What you do matters. In the 80s, nothing mattered except for having fun. Yeah. Kind of interesting. There you go. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Has it been a while since you've seen it? You can catch up with it on Netflix. And do you like the beginning and end or the middle? And That's all we need to know about your personality type. You should actually ping us on Twitter because I would like to know. I honestly would like to know whether the 80s were the best time for teen movies or whether there is something that I'm missing That's out. That's right. What, you know, what was your Lady Bird or Ferris Bueller if you're Paul? Let us know on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. Here we are, the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. Making mountains out of molehills, vice versa. Sometimes none of that, because this is whatever we want it to be. The most least important thing. Don't think about it too hard. It might wrinkle your brain. Which apparently is a good thing. Brain wrinkles are actually a good thing. I have a very wrinkly brain. Like if if your brain is too smooth, that's a problem. Yeah. Right? I think I think yours is... speaking? No, never mind. That, that, was, <laughs> that was even over the line for this. I've overstayed my welcome at the ACs. <laughs> Starting off the most least important thing this week, as I'm sure Paul has guessed, here is the shout out. Kobe Bryant. Oh, I I was really going to come up with another thing to throw you off the chase and yeah. make you feel like a fool. But yeah, it's Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I, I was much. at the X Games, <laughs> mm. interestingly enough, being broadcast by ESPN when I went to stand in line for my free breakfast sandwich with my kids and saw the news that Kobe Bryant had died. It was really sad. And it, you know what? Here's the funny thing. I was not a Kobe Bryant fan. I was not an NBA fan when Kobe Bryant was at the height of his career. In fact, I don't think I've ever watched an entire Kobe game. I think maybe I've seen highlights and that's it. Most of what I remember about Kobe are his feud with Shaq, his feud with Shaq and, uh, and his scandal. His the sexual assault scandal that he assault. Sell, uh, that he settled out of court, right? And uh, that's about it. Or I learned after he, you know, right around when he was retiring, I learned about the Mamba mentality. Apparently, that was a big thing. I didn't learn about it till I met a movie director, actually, fittingly enough, who <laughs> who was a big adherent to the Mamba mentality. Mm. All that to say, Kobe Bryant died, and I was struck in a really weird way. Now, was part of that because I was out at the X Games with my own two children and just thinking about, you know, a father and daughter off together and and 
dying in that way right. and thinking about my own kids in that way. Is that why it struck me more than I expected? But boy, every it seems to have hit everybody in a really odd way for a guy who has been known for being right. Had a he was no, like <clears throat> he was polarizing. He was polarizing. He but absolutely everybody was. is is getting, sending up their RIP Kobe. Yeah, you know it. it it was an interesting phenomenon, and, and I think that Kobe's legacy, as great of a player as he was, is pretty complex. And my own personal reaction was also fairly complex. You know, I think that, that I, I always appreciated him as a player. I always disliked him in some ways. I mean, he played for one of my least favorite teams. I never really liked the Lakers yeah. very much. Um, and he always struck me as a little bit, this is going to sound so strange to say now, but he always struck me as a little bit overrated. You know, I thought that Shaq was sort of the engine that, that drove the Lakers machine. You were on that team. Yeah, Yeah, I I really was. And not to take anything away from Kobe, but he didn't seem, he didn't seem like a LeBron type of player where LeBron can do everything. Kobe... I think I sold him short as a basketball player. And because of his his scandal that happened right here in Colorado, I was pretty sensitive to, to those issues. Um, I think you're right. The fact that he was with his daughter, the fact that I think that after his scandal, he recommitted to his family in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, by all... Yeah. Accounts. He yeah. became. He leaned in and restored his family in a way that's pretty unusual for that type of situation. Yeah, yeah. And you see him. You know, over the last couple of days, you've seen a lot of pictures of him, a lot of videos with him and his daughters, and and I think that that drives home the fact that it felt like his priorities were where they needed to be, and I think that that makes that does make it. It just makes it sad, you know. Um, but the other thing that I also think about is, and this is going to sound probably callous, um, but I also think about the other people who died on that helicopter. Yeah. You always think about the the celebrity, the right. star. Um, and sometimes we lose sight when somebody dies in that fashion. The other people who are leaving behind family and friends and, and, and stories that we might never, ever hear. Right. Um, and that that leaves me feeling, even though I was also deeply moved by Kobe um, and his and the loss of him, um, the fact that we pay so little attention to people who we don't know as well in the media, it leaves me feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I yeah, guess with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was sort of one of the things I came to in myself was why do. I, yeah, why am I? And it feels it feels bad on both sides. Like I right. feel like I finally understand Catholic guilt. <laughs> uh, and then sort of I feel damned if I do, damned if I don't. And that right. on the one hand, if you start to at, say, well, what about these other people? You feel like you're minimizing the this tragedy of, right. of these two people. But right. then if you start to hyper-focus on the tragedy of these two people, you start to forget about the other seven people on the helicopter. And even beyond that, the, the mothers, daughters, husbands, fathers yeah. that die every single day. You know, we know 
in our own community. Right. Many are dying in their own different and tragic and untragic ways. Right. And so I think to realize how taken I was with the celebrity aspect of it without even realizing it, I think was an interesting and uh, un, like un, unexpected thing to learn about myself. Yeah, yeah. It It is always interesting and it's just human nature. I don't think that it, it's... It's a horrible thing. It's just the way we're wired. But it it always strikes me as interesting that we – it seems that sometimes we can value people because they can shoot a ball really well. And that seems like an odd sense of priority. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it. I, I am too. So there you go. Paul, what do you got for us? Speaking of celebrity. Take us out on a high note. <laughs> so – Suck us right back in. Do you know who Frank Sinatra is? I do know who Frank Sinatra yeah. is. He's yeah. the guy who uh, did the songs originally that the new guy does. <laughs> exactly. You know, you Michael know that Buble. New guy, Buble. Yeah. 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 And Harry Connick Jr. Well, he's not new. He's not new. He's... Even Buble's not new. I know. I'm sure there's some new crooner. <laughs> Buble was new, you know, a decade or two ago. Anyways. So, S- Frank Sinatti. Sinatra, chairman of the board. Sinatti. Is he chairman of the board? That's That was his nickname oh, that was back his nickname? in the day. Yeah. So, apparently. I thought it was like Mr. Rat Pack. <laughs> so, apparently, he had his own private suite at the Golden Nugget Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And now the Golden Nugget is apparently auctioning off all of Frank Sinatra's old furniture. Oh. It includes a toilet. A toilet? With a gold lid. A golden lid? Yes. Actual? Is it pure gold or just painted gold? You know, it doesn't really say in this article. It sure looks like gold, but it seems like it would be it would be heavy be to really lift. Really heavy to lift. And it might bend when you sat on it. And then sure. that would be well, uncomfortable. You know, why are you sitting on the lid? Well, because you have to tie your shoes sometimes in the bathroom. You need, to, you need <laughs> That's why they have the lid, so you can sit on it and you can I tie your say shoes. I you didn't have to look into the toilet. Oh, my goodness. So you can buy this Good to toilet. know that Paul puts on his shoes in the bathroom. <laughs> So I actually that in the show notes. I am sure I am actually sure that it is not complete gold because the toilet otherwise would be a huge bargain at fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. Oh that's, yeah, that's what they were expecting. Oh sure, that's for. gold paint. For oh sure. yeah, because yeah. a lid of solid gold like that is worth way more than that. Oh yeah, Absolutely. you would. Think. All right, what else we got? You would think so. He's all. They're also selling a tower clock, which I'm guessing is a grandfather clock, for twenty five to fifty thousand dollars. Whoa, way more than that. And a fake gold toilet. And the Yamaha grand piano, which yeah. Frank Sinatra might have been able to play him very self. He might have been able to play him very. Self. <laughs> I don't know if he actually knew how to play the piano. I mean, I just saw him sing all the yeah. time. But he may have. He may have leaned on it once. Ten to twenty thousand dollars, which is a pretty good price for pretty a, for, good a, for a dirt bike company. <laughs> good for you yamaha so if you branching out if you want a piece of saint frank sinatra's saint frank <laughs> frank sinatra's suite from the golden nugget casino you can actually get things cheaper there's a trash can that they expect will go for as low as thirty dollars what no way thirty dollars no for a trash for can who's auctioning this? chairman of the board why trash they, can. why are they i mean come on that's the piece you buy it is. You already have a bid in, don't you? I do. I do. Because I do things my way. That's right. 
<laughs> you absolutely, I, I 100% believe you. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, where can people bid to outbid you? You know what? Live bidding begins Sunday at 10 a.m. and will conclude at 1 p.m. Eastern? But you have to, no, it's actually local time because you have to be there in person. You have to go to seven S7S Auction, located at 62 Repapoe Station Road in Repapoe, New Jersey. So that's Eastern time. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I was thinking, it's casino. I was, I got, I got Las You're Vegas. like they're right in here in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. Las Las Animus. You'll be nice to me, and you'll correct that in the in the editing process. Sure won't. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. This was supposed to be short. <laughs> well, then Paul had a bad opinion about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the rest is history. Oh yeah, yeah. Not that's where we went off the rails, like Quentin Tarantino. Man, but. As usual, we love to argue with you on Twitter, so come catch up with us there. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Okay, I think that's it. All right, that's. I mean, that is basically Tim Nestor's end of the year podcast for his Fathers of the Grind. Just them looking at a spreadsheet on the show and be like, "Do you want this one at six or five? I think you're the worst human being if you put it at a six instead of a five. It'll be a cold day in hell before I put that at number six. All right, I'm. I'm wiped now. This is going to be a really short podcast because I'm not going to talk. Brad Pitt, he's so good!